by singing his praises. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of praise. As long as human beings are able to draw breath, they will praise their God. True praise breathes the spirit of reverence and humility and faith. The Christmas story is filled with praise. Zechariah and Elizabeth, the Magi, the angels, the shepherds, and Mary. Praise is the most natural response when we contemplate the coming of Christ the child. May our praise echo down the corridors of time and space as we join God's people singing through the ages. Oh, come, let us adore him. On the 
this second Sunday of Advent, we light this candle as a symbol of Christ, who above all is worthy of our highest praise. Please stand as we continue in singing together. What hope we hold this solid night? A king is born in Bethlehem. Our journey is long, we seek the light that leads to the hollow and major ground. What fear we felt in the silent age, for hundred years can he be found, but broken by.
Father, we thank you for this little child, the babe, the son of Mary, that changes the world. We've come today to worship you, to give thanks for Jesus, and to ask you through your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. That our worship be pleasing to you. That our hearts be open to you. And be glorified in this time together. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. I invite you to share a word of greeting with one another as we come to worship today. I want to mention just a few things uh, coming up to, to invite you to participate in. Tonight at 5 o'clock, we have a service of baptism. Um, it's going to be an exciting night as uh, we baptize, I think, eight or nine people. And uh, it's exciting to see what God's doing in the lives of folks uh, in, who are here in town and part of our church. And uh, we're excited to be a part of this gathering. And we hope you'll be back here tonight, 5 o'clock for this great uh, moment in the lives of those who are being baptized. Next Sunday, again, 5 o'clock, is our annual carol sing. We come together and just sing Christmas carols. Pick your favorites uh, and have a chance to to sing through those, maybe some that we might not sing uh, in church on on a particular Sunday, but it's an opportunity to celebrate the birth through singing. And then afterwards, we'll have a cookie reception in the community room. So we'd love to have you be a part of that gathering next week. If you're around uh, Christmas Eve, we have two services, 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock, and I would love to have you be a part of those gatherings if you're going to be here. We have run out of the Fruit of the Spirit recipe books that we put together, uh, but we're placing another order tomorrow. If you didn't get one and you would like one, uh, just let us know. You can uh, send an email to uh, the church, info at awchurch.org, or call the church office, but I think by noon tomorrow we're going to place that order. So just let us know. We'll make sure you get one, you get one ordered for you. Um, we've had a couple of births in the last uh, week and a half or so. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, November 29th, uh, Cora Saniseth was born. And we celebrate with Sully and Kristen and with their boys, Leighton, Carson, and Callan. And this past Monday, uh, Elizabeth Jacoby was born to Nate and Eileen. And we celebrate with them as well. We also have a number of items for prayer here in the bulletin. And uh, we certainly want to, along with these items, pray for um, uh, Marina Slavin's family. uh, Marina, a college student who died unexpectedly earlier this week. Uh, Her funeral service will be tomorrow in New Hampshire. And I know that their family would appreciate our prayers. I'm sure there are other things that we bring with us today as we gather for worship And in a few moments, we will be praying together. Uh, As we come to pray, if you would like to to join me at the altar rail to offer your prayers, uh, when we begin to pray, please come and uh, and join me up front. Uh, Before we do that, we're going to ask the ushers to come and to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
If you'd like to pray at the altar, please come and join me. Father, it is a mystery to contemplate all that is part of Jesus being born. The Word becoming flesh. Our minds are able to process and grasp parts of it. But the full reality of what the coming of Christ means is is just beyond us. But we do know that it is the event that changes the world. Even when we can't explain all of the nuances and all of the meaning, we know that because Christ has come, our lives are changed. And the world is changed. And there is hope. It is because Christ has come that we offer our prayers today. It's because of Christ that we believe you know the burdens of our hearts and you care about them and that you are at work in them. And so today we pray that you will heal all of our diseases. That you will comfort us in our grief. That you will be present with us in our pain that you will restore all that is broken. That you will make us new creatures. Father, we come today and we ask for your forgiveness. Forgiveness for the sins that we've committed against you, against one another. For the moments, even this past week, when... We have chosen our own way instead of yours. When we have hurt one another in order to protect ourselves for all of the ways in which we have gone astray, forgive us. Father, we pray this morning for this world in which we live. You have created it so beautifully. There's so much that inspires us. And yet we know there is great trouble, turmoil, and pain in this world. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling 
with the basic necessities of life and ask that you will provide for them. We pray for your people throughout the world who are desiring to bear witness of your grace. And many are facing great opposition. We pray that their lives will impact. We ask, Father, for your grace upon the people of South Africa as they mourn the death of Nelson Mandela. We pray, Father, that you will continue to work miraculously in this nation to unite what has been so long divided. And we pray, Father, for your church to bear witness of your truth. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for being present with us. Thank you for Christ. We offer our prayers to you in his name. Because he has come. Because of all that he has done and has promised to do. Remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Which we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Following scripture, the children's will be dismissed for children's church. Would you please stand for the scripture this morning? Scripture is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called to get together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means last among the rulers of Judah, For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time of the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and uh, presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and mirth. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they turned to their country and another route. When they had gone An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by a magi, He was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and the vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because there are no more. 
After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus has been born. The angels have sung their song. The shepherds have gone back to their sheep. And the Magi have come and presented their gifts and excuse me, made their way back to their land in the east. <coughs> excuse me. We read the story and we're filled with a sense of awe and and a sense of joy and wonder as we see shepherds singing and and magi presenting gifts and all uh, shepherds watching the angels and all these things going on. And and as we as we contemplate this there is this sense of just this idyllic nature related to the story. And we love reading this story. And it would be a perfect story if Matthew had just left it there. 
But instead, he, he tells us this story about, about the little boys in Bethlehem. And it, it feels so out of place. It's a story, it makes a story feel messy. And, and when I read this, I think, I wish that weren't there. I wish we didn't have to think about those things. I, I wish that, that this wasn't a part of, of what happened when Jesus is born and we celebrate this great event and all of the beautiful, lovely things that we associate with Christmas. And yet, here it is. And somehow we have to, we have to understand it if we can and, and engage it and, and try to think about why Matthew would include it in the first place. It's important for us to understand that this is, a, this is an event that is initiated by evil. This is something that the evil one has done using Herod, who quite frankly is a willing ally in the evil one's strategy to cause pain. Herod in many ways is sort of uh, the poster child of evil. You look at his, his life, his reign, it, he does things that it's hard to imagine. The minute that he comes into power, he gathers around him the 45 of the wealthiest men in Judea, people, men who had supported the previous king, and he executes them and confiscates all of their possessions. After he's been the king for a little while, he's summoned to Rome by the emperor, and he's not exactly sure why the emperor is summoning him, but he's afraid. He's, he may well have done something to offend the emperor, and he might be sentenced to death. And before he leaves, he tells his soldiers, if I'm sentenced to death, then I want you to execute my wife too. He's not sentenced to death, but after he returns, in in a fit of rage, he has her executed anyway. And throughout the years of his reign, he he orders the murder of his 18-year-old brother-in-law, his wife's 80-year-old grandfather, his mother-in-law, and two of his own sons. No wonder the Emperor Augustus said, I would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's relative. And Herod is a willing ally in the, in, in the evil one's work here. And, he, what, and when the Magi come to Jerusalem... And they start asking about this new king who's been born. They don't realize that they are poking an insanely jealous bear. Who will do anything to protect his kingdom. Including murdering little children. It's difficult to fathom... It's difficult to fathom what these mothers and fathers must have been feeling and thinking. They don't understand. I mean, they know Herod is a tyrant. He's ruthless. But why? Why would Herod come and, and, and murder her children? I mean, they, they don't live in the world of, of kings and empires and protecting your reign. They're just trying to live their lives. They're trying to raise their children. They're just trying to get, eke out an existence. It makes no sense. And it seems to me that that is most often the way the evil one works. He isn't trying to do something that makes sense. In fact, the, the least sense it makes to us, the better. Because it leaves us questioning and and it leaves this sense of mystery and a cloud. And often we turn and blame God for it. And that's part of the evil one's plan. When things happen that we don't understand, when, when evil intersects our lives and our world, when tragedies take place, 
more often than not, the one, one of the first questions that comes to mind is, why God? Why did you do this? Why did you let this happen? How could you let this happen? And that plays right into what the evil one's trying to accomplish. And here are these parents trying to figure out what in the world's going on and be overwhelmed with grief and sorrow and sadness and pain. And we understand, at least in some degree, pain. It's interesting to me that the evil one, well, the evil one hates God, and the evil one wants to do everything possible to to drive a stake through the heart of God. And I'm convinced this is one of the reasons why there is so, so many atrocities against children. You walk into a room, if there are children, they're almost always going to be the most vulnerable people in the room. And there is, the, the, and, and children, you, we know from reading the scriptures, the children are precious to God's heart. And so you almost have a sense of the evil one saying, okay, fine, God, if you're going to send your son to save these people, I'm going to murder some children. And sometimes it's, it's just hard for us to grasp that. And we all know at some point that we're going to die. We understand that in our minds. And we also know that there is, an, there is an order in which death comes. Older people die before younger people. Grandparents before parents, parents before children. That's the way it's supposed to be. As hard as that is, and as difficult as it is, it, and still painful, and it's still a struggle for us, but it, it makes a little more sense to us when it follows this pattern. But when that pattern is disrupted, when that pattern is shaken, we get shaken. And I suspect there are some of you here today who have lived through some of that. Some of you may have experienced the, the great pain of a death of a child. And the agony of that. It's something you, you never get over. It's something you, you never forget. You never really get past it. And I, I think in talking with people that it seems that the, the pain of it seems to be heightened during the holidays. When everyone is together with family, it just accentuates that that child isn't here. And there's that empty place. Maybe for some of you, it's not that a child has died. Maybe it's that a child has never been born. And the ache in your heart and in your, in your soul and your spirit is the wanting a child desperately and not being able to have one. And living with that pain that again, at this holiday time, when, when people are getting together with their children and not being able to do that. Maybe it's, maybe it's because of, of a childhood that was lost. Maybe it's about growing up in a home where, where you were neglected, Abused, worse, and feeling as though your childhood was stolen from you, lost. And you live with the pain and the agony of that every single day. And you lament and you weep and you put up walls and barriers 
because of that great pain. And the holidays and people getting together with family doesn't, doesn't elicit positive memories, it elicits negative memories. And if it's none of those things, maybe it's just recognizing all of the pain in our world and particularly the pain that children go through in our world in so many places. Children who, do, who live without the basic necessities of life. No food, shelter, Children that are are orphaned and abandoned because of disease or famine or war. Children that are sold into slavery or worse. Children that are conscripted into an army and convinced through drugs or threats to do unmentionable things because of the greed and the hunger for power by a few men. Or maybe it's just the pain of life. But in one way or another, we all understand in some form the pain that comes from living in this fallen world, in this world in which evil imposes its will so often upon us, in a world in which evil gets a hold of people and they hurt us and they hurt others and we ache and we struggle for it and we struggle about it. As I read this story, I've asked myself, why is this story here? Why does Matthew include this story? And I think one of the reasons is to remind us that this story is real life. And our faith is about living real life. There are some religions of the world where the goal, the the ultimate goal is to escape real life. It's to, it's to escape all of the stuff that's a part of this world. And you reach the apex of the religion by, by being free from all the things that are going on in the world. That's not our faith. Our faith is about real life. Our faith is about living in a real world, facing pain and hardship and struggle because this is the world in which we live. Because God's given us free will. And the moment free will enters the picture, there is all kind of possibility for evil and injustice and pain. And we don't live in a world where we're trying to get away from what's real. We live in, as Christians, we are in a world trying to make a difference in a world that's real. I used to think that maybe the story was a part of the scriptures because everybody knew about it anyway. And it would look really weird for for Matthew to, to ignore it. And everyone would say, well, he's just trying to make God look better. So let's just not tell that story. The story of the, of the birth of God coming uh, into the world and, and this associated with it makes God not look so great. Especially when you consider that Jesus escapes and all these other children don't. So everybody knows, so it, it looks worse to not talk about it, so let's put it in. And then I realized, I learned, that this, this event of the murdering of the children is not mentioned anywhere else in all of the historical documents that we can find. This is the only place. So the story is not here because you had to put it in. I think one of the reasons the story is here is so that we will understand that God doesn't forget what happens to little children and the acts of evil and pain in our world. Scholars tell us that Bethlehem's not a real big town, and by the time the Magi get there, it's 
could be up to at least two years after Jesus' birth. And all the people who came to Bethlehem with, when Mary and Joseph did to register, they have gone back to their homes. Mary and Joseph have decided to stay here. And so when, when this edict comes down, there might be estimates are maybe 20 children that die. And in the scheme of all the heinous things that Herod does, 20 children of peasant parents in an obscure, who cares kind of place just doesn't get press. We got too many other big things to talk about to worry about this. And maybe Matthew includes it to tell us the rest of the world may forget about these little boys but God doesn't. And I can almost imagine the Holy Spirit prompting Matthew as he's beginning this gospel about the genealogy in the first chapter and the angel coming to Joseph and the Magi appearing to them and the angel and the Holy Spirit saying to Matthew, and don't forget to talk about the little boys. Don't leave them out because I want everyone to know that I have not forgotten them. And one day, I will avenge the evil on them and on their families. You get to the book of Revelation, and it tells us in chapter 16, 17, 18, about Babylon, which is the symbol of evil in the world. And God says, the day will come when Babylon will taste the wine of my fury. When Babylon will be held accountable for all of the evil they have done in this world, I will remember. I'll not forget. And the pain that you and I face, sometimes we wonder, does anybody know? God remembers. He knows the pain that we feel. See, that's, that's, that's a, what happens at Christmas. That's why Jesus comes, because he knows our pain and he enters into our pain. And sometimes we forget in our pain that God cares far more about evil than we do. We wonder about that sometimes, because it feels like God's not doing enough. God's not acting fast enough. God's not acting the way we want him to act, to stop evil in the world. And it makes us think, God must not care that much about it. We care more about evil than God does. But you read the scriptures and you see over and over and over again, God cares so much more about evil than we do. You read through the Old Testament, there are just a preponderance of laws and edicts about how the Israelites are to treat the most vulnerable people. Children, widows, orphans, aliens and strangers, people who have no rights, people who could easily be taken advantage of and often are. God says, You watch out for those people. Be good to those people. Don't take advantage of those people. Because he cares. And Jesus is born into the world to to help us understand the depth of God's passion and concern and compassion about the pain that we experience and the pain in this world. Sometimes we miss it. Because we're so wrapped up in the pain, we miss the fact that Christ is born to do something about our pain. And ultimately, Jesus who escapes death in this encounter gives himself willingly to death for every one of us. And for everyone in this story. See, these little boys aren't murdered because Jesus is born. Jesus is born because evil that would murder little boys needs to be dealt with. And this is the essence of Christmas. That's why this story being here is so important to us. And what it means to understand the coming of Christ and the faith that is ours in Christ. N.T. Wright says that 
that in a sense, Jesus stepped into the whirlpool of evil all by himself and, and let evil just sort of wear, wear itself out on him so that we would be free from it. And he said in, in this book about the Lord's Prayer, in the statement of where we pray, deliver us from evil, he said Jesus is the one who was not delivered from evil. And he faced it head on. And he did it not because of some edict. He did it willingly, lovingly, for the whole world. And because Jesus comes, even in the midst of our pain, there is hope, there's grace. Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31 here in this passage, and he speaks about Rachel and her children weeping. It's a passage in Jeremiah that's spoken to people who have watched most of their family being taken into exile, their sons, their daughters, taken away. And, he's, and they're weeping about what has happened to their families. And that's verse 15, but verse 16 of Jeremiah 31 says, But take hope. Because I am bringing them back. And Isaiah 49, where he's talking about the Messiah that is to come. Isaiah says, the Lord has spoken and he declares, I will go to the nations and they will carry your sons back. And they will carry your daughters on their shoulders. And I will bring them back to you. There is always hope. And that's why Jesus comes. He comes to do something about the pain that we feel. He does comes to do something about evil in this world. He comes to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up our wounds and to set the captives free. Someone reminded me recently about Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, American poet, lived during the 19th century, was, was so deeply burdened by what was going on in our nation in the 1860s. We were at war, north and south, and, and so many lives lost. So much death and despair and destruction in our nation. In 1863, he got a letter from his son saying that, telling him that he had joined the Union forces. And not too long after that, he received word that his son had been severely wounded in battle. During that same year, Longfellow's wife died in an accidental fire. His heart was filled with grief and despair at this pain. And on Christmas morning of that year, he all of a sudden heard the bells of the churches ringing. And he sat down and he, and he wrote down these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play and wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. Hate is strong. Mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Gracious Father, 
whatever we are feeling today, pain about ourselves, for others, for this world. Let us see your deep passion and concern. And let us see in the coming of Christ the hope that you have promised. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. Please stand and sing with us. Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.